On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hey, this is Jeff Dornick, co-founder of the American Conservative Movement. We are an organization seeking to unify conservatives across this great country to defend our constitutional rights that are being systematically stripped away by our authoritarian government. Please visit AmericanConservativeMovement.com and join the thousands of conservatives across this country who have signed up for our email list. Let's take back our country. Yeah, it's called Conversations with Jeff, not Screaming Matches. Yeah, Yeah, you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on Mm -hmm. when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though, and so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth, and then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth uh, no matter what the consequences are. on my cell okay everybody welcome to uh the uh today's episode of conversations with jeff uh you know really excited about uh, our guest tonight um but also just wanted before we get to that just wanted to let you guys know if you guys can uh check out our plugged in membership uh program if you go over to gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in uh you can actually uh become a member of our uh you know podcast network and so what we've got we've got exclusive perks for you over there and that that includes uh exclusive access to our destroy social justice conference uh that we host with people like michael massey greg Locke, uh thomas littleton mike spaulding all the gk guys and that sort of thing um you know you also get exclusive access to be able to read our book social injustice right there for free as as you know as a perk for being a member uh, a bunch of other really cool things as uh, as, as well, so definitely check that out. Gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in and uh, check that out. Uh, I'm really excited about uh, tonight, uh, second episode of Conversations with Jeff of the Day, but we've got uh, Dr. Um, Bobby Lopez joining us uh, back for round two here with Conversations. But Bobby, you know, thanks for coming back and uh, glad we could sit down and have another conversation. Hello, how's it going? Not, not too bad. I mean, we're on. 
what is it, uh, day number 60-some-odd days of lockdown out here, and I've got a beard, and my hair is too long to spike up anymore. So <laughs> it's getting crazy. Well, yeah, if you're surviving, that's good. Um, I've had a lot of challenges worse than that. So. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. So, yeah, so so you know, how, how, were, how were things going out in, in your part of the country with all of this coronavirus stuff? Texas is definitely reopening. I think that the major social trend out here in Texas is to resist all of the rules. So when I go to Target, a minority of people are wearing masks. Most people are not wearing masks. People really feel like they want to live their life, and that's just very much the Texan spirit. I think overall we have not had a really high death count, so um, we have had a high number of cases. But, you know, I think that the feeling is good. The sun's out. It's warm. I am really sad for a lot of the people who have not found jobs yet, who lost their jobs, but we're going to hope that it all picks up. Probably my biggest worry right now is that we're going to have this massive influx, again, of people moving here from New York and California because those economies are ruined. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's really fascinating talking to, you know, like, you know, because I'm out here in Southern California and, you know, talking to a lot of people about like, hey, you know, a lot of people are, you know, seriously considered leaving and a lot of people are going to either Nevada or Texas. I've heard Oklahoma, some, some different, uh, you know, conservative places. Um, but it's it's really interesting hearing how many people are just like, yeah, we're, we're done with this. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. Hey, this is Jeff Dornick, founder of the GK Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope that you'll subscribe to this channel and give us a five-star review. You have no idea how much this helps us. Also, if you'd like to watch the full version of the show, you can join our plugged-in membership. For only $10 a month, you'll get access to the live stream and full video versions of our shows, the recordings from the Destroy Social Justice Conference, online access to our book, Social Injustice, our weekly devotional, 30% off in the GK store, and so much more. Please visit gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in for more information and to sign up. Thank you for your support. Right. When I, and I'm afraid that's probably going to happen in Texas. So I will be very sad to have to deal with my massive influx. But if that means that it'll help us pick up business, that's great. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think and I think one of the concerns I think with everybody leaving California, obviously, is, you know, bringing our our political ideology, you know, with them. Uh, you know, cause I, I grew up in Arizona and a lot of Californians moved there, um, over the last, you know, many years. And a lot of that was because it was so much cheaper to live there. Uh, then they come and they make it more of a purple state than it used to be a red state. And it, that's probably a, a, a big concern for places like Texas and, and things like that, right? 
Yes, I think I lived in California for quite a while. I remember, I was from L.A., and I think what I noticed happening is in California, you have one extreme. Texas, you have the other extreme. And the two extremes kind of look alike because they're both run by these elites that are very nepotistic and very self-serving and very self-dealing. And so when you get a lot of Californians moving to Texas, it becomes this perfect storm because you have people coming in bringing the Nancy Pelosi corruption and they're colliding with the George Bush corruption. <laughs> so it's like pick your poison. Uh, so, But hopefully, you know, maybe they'll neutralize each other or something. That would be my hope. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, and and I know, like you've you've been posting some articles on the GK, you know, about a lot all this, you know, COVID stuff that's going on and and all of that. What what what's your what's your take on like you know like what's actually happening? Because I feel like everybody has has their theories. You know, some people are like it's it's a globalist conspiracy. Other people say it's, it was a biological weapon. Other people say it's Bill Gates trying to you know take over the world. Like like what what's your take on like what's actually going on here with this coronavirus stuff? I don't really know, but I will say this. I have seen people post a lot of derogatory statements about Christians who are subscribing to so-called conspiracy theories. So, for instance, Ed Stetzer just published a piece in the Dallas Morning News condemning Christians for sharing conspiracy theories. I would say this. We know from the Bible that the devil is real. And we know from the Bible, you know, Jeremiah tells us that the human heart is wicked beyond believe maybe one conspiracy theory or another might be flawed but you would be foolish to think that people don't conspire and that people don't plot very devious things in order to get what they want and if the stakes are high they will go to extreme measures so i have no doubt that there was a lot of malfeasance with this i don't think that this virus just appeared and the reaction was completely unprompted uh, there are several possibilities. Maybe the virus did occur naturally, and then the Democrats just sprang this whole totalitarian system on us because this was a pre-existing agenda and they wanted to apply it there. Maybe there was some sort of consultation in how this virus was developed or how it was extracted or how it was leaked or how it was disseminated. I, I don't know. Um, but I do think that the most important thing right now is that we've got to stay biblical and the Old Testament gives us a very clear roadmap for how civil society is supposed to function. We are not supposed to be locking down an entire group, the sick, the old, the young, the healthy, all at the same time. That's not biblical. It's not biblical to quote Romans 13 and to say that we're supposed to do everything that anyone in authority says. That is definitely not a good reading of Paul's letter to the Romans. And it's not constitutional for us to be accepting these uh, restrictions because the government does not have the right to tell people they can't go to church. They don't have the right to shut down businesses with no imminent threat or any uh, clear, you know, and present danger. They, they can't do that. So uh, I think that we've got to stick to the Bible and stick to the Constitution. And Romans 13, I would say, really demands that we observe and honor the Constitution because that is our existing authority. Yeah. Not Donald yeah. Trump, not Governor Newsom, not the. We live in a country where the existing authority is the Constitution, and and we should abide by that. And if we disobey the Constitution in order to obey a governor or a president or a mayor, then we're not living as good Christians under Romans thirteen. 
Yeah, and, and, and that makes perfect sense too. And I think it's one of the things that um, that a lot of people forget is that the context of Romans 13, that's dealing with a, with essentially a government. They didn't have a constitution where, like, let's say the emperor had to follow a said law. He basically was a dictator. He, he, could, he could essentially make whatever law he wanted. So it was a completely different context. Here, if somebody, if somebody you know, essentially disobeys the constitution – they're acting illegally. So then why would we support and follow illegal behavior? That just doesn't make logical sense to me at all. Right. And Paul was a Roman citizen, and the Romans were very proud of the fact that they did, in fact, have a legislative and a legal system that was functional. It was consistent. It had certain principles of due process in it. That's why in the Acts of the Apostles, you see that Paul invokes his Roman citizenship very often as a trump card against the corruption in the Jewish church. So it makes sense when he says the existing authorities, the exousia, uh, he's talking about that context of when you live in an empire and they have this due process the way Rome did, it makes sense to uh, at least pay honor to that and and to preserve your basic obligations to it so that you are not needlessly um, angering the civil authorities when that they could be helping you. Uh, that I don't think that that meant that every individual who was in a position of authority over you, no matter how abusive they are, you have to completely treat as if they are sent there by God. Um, so it's true that God uses imperfect rulers, but that that I don't think that that overlays onto Romans 13 to say that every single person who's in authority over you has your complete obedience or you are in rebellion against God, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Now, 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 dealing with, because you had mentioned Ed Stetzer, you know, earlier, right. and, you know, and, and I saw his article and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Like, it, it seems like a lot of, you know, I always call them like the evangelical elite. You know, it seems like they're always pushing left and pushing against uh, the conservative uh, side of evangelicalism. What what do you think is is there? It seems like there's a there's a strategy, right? Like, what is Ed Stetzer actually trying to do? Is he trying to you know squash the conservative voice? Like, what's what's going on over there? I think that this group of people is a social network. I don't know what all of these individuals believe, but I do know from they're interested in maintaining their power. I think that they are mostly driven by a desire to maintain their power and their position. And I think they find it very important to be able to give to pe- people that they bring up jobs. They want to be able to give them jobs. They want to be able to give them connections. So they want to be in that kingmaker, mafia, godfather role. So Ed Stetz was obviously very tied into J.D. Greer. J.D. Greer appointed him as the head of the resolutions committee, even though the convention did not happen. Uh, J.D. Greer, as the president, is heavily tied into the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. He immediately partnered with them on the sex abuse scandal, and that brings in Russell Moore. Russell Moore was tutored by Albert Moeller, who basically was the man who trained all of the entity leaders in the whole Southern Baptist Convention. So I think that right now, the way the winds are blowing, this large, unwieldy social network, this oligarchy that's at the top of the Southern Baptist Convention, has a lot of ties that they are interested in maintaining with the mainstream center-left press and with central left institutions. They want to impress a lot of the secular liberal academic institutions like the American Academy of Religion or the Society of Biblical Literature. And I think this is what got Southern Baptist Seminary in trouble 
on this round with the firing of Russell Fuller, and we can talk about that. But uh, I think that's really what's going on. I don't know if they actually believe in liberal or progressive ideals and they want to push it. I don't know. But right now they clearly have an interest in maintaining their power and uh, they have antagonized conservatives because they were pushing a lot of unfounded accusations that we could characterize as conspiracy theories against Roy Moore, against Donald Trump, against Paige Patterson, uh, against people that they called white supremacists, against uh, people that they accused of having toxic masculinity. They had no problem in pushing those conspiracy theories. So clearly, uh, Ed Stetzer is not particularly against conspiracy theories. He doesn't want people to ask questions that threaten their current elite. So he wants to tar all of the evangelicals who are posting, let's say, Judy Mikovits videos up. He wants to lump them in with the people who are questioning Al Mohler's decisions because that's a way of protecting their network of power. If you can deflect questions, if you can silence whistleblowers, and if you can conceal what you do, even if you begin with the purest of intentions, you end up getting absolute power and you will become corrupt because you can hide everything. You can do whatever you want and people won't find out. So that's, I think, the situation that we're in. And we have to be very careful of these evangelical elites using the current events to try to tar normal everyday Christians who are asking valid questions as conspiracy theorists. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, people who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hey, Jeff Dornick here. Wanted to let you know about our first book that we published called Social Injustice. We brought together 12 different authors, each tackling a different aspect of social justice and comparing everything with scripture. Whether you want to know more about white privilege, income inequality, LGBTQ issues, illegal immigration, or even just the history of the movement, this book is for you. With authors such as Dr. Andy Woods, Brandon Howes, Thomas Littleton, Dr. Mike Spaulding, Pastor Ken Peters, and all of the GK guys, this is definitely a must-have for your reading list. We are also honored to have the great conservative voice Michael Massey write the forward to this book. Head on over to gatekeepersonline.com slash store to order your copy of the book and use code Jeff at checkout for 10% off. That's gatekeepersonline.com slash store and use the code Jeff at checkout. Now, back to the show. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it, it seems like what they're doing. It's it's obviously it's it seems like there's a direct parallel between the strategy that we're seeing happening in Washington D.C. with you know secular politics and then what's happening within within the church and you know and it's it's not just the SBC it's it's evangelicalism in general it seems like there's this just this big power grab and they're trying to hold on with everything and silence any critics um, but but it seems like it seems like the SBC seems to be the most evident obviously because of the size and the scope and their influence right. and things like that. Um, you know, at what point was was this a was this a thing? It seems like it wasn't always this way, or is it just that we weren't aware of it? I, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could interpret it. What I would point to is the fact that with the conservative resurgence in the 1980s, the Southern Baptist became, Convention became a huge political force. It was tied to the Republicans. It was tied to Ronald Reagan, and so uh, their success in Having that kind of influence led to two different things. On the one hand, it went to a lot of people's heads and they became arrogant. So there was a lot of arrogance in the SBC and people really weren't checking themselves enough. And they got involved in a lot of financial uh, dealings and a lot of nepotistic dealings that probably undermined them over the long term. And then the second thing is that uh, they became coveted. Uh, there were people from other parts of the political spectrum who wanted to gain access either to subvert the Southern Baptist Convention, to flip it to the other side, or to neutralize it because it had become such a huge political force. I mean, in the days of Jerry Falwell uh, and Ronald Reagan, you know, even in the 1990s, you remember in 1994 when the Republicans took back Congress, evangelical Christians had a huge part of it, and the Southern Baptist Convention was very vocal in criticizing Bill Clinton. So they were a huge force. And then, of course, under George W. Bush, even though he was not Baptist, uh, uh, under that administration, of course, the SBC had a lot of uh, support as well from the government. So I think that it was just a golden prize that a lot of people wanted in on and they wanted to get into it. And there were people who were more devious than others. I think some people wanted to get into the Southern Baptist Convention and remake it in their own image. I think a lot of liberal evangelicals have a very progressive view of Christianity anyway, and they didn't want to have to go out and build their own denominations. They're not interested in taking over the Episcopalians or the Methodists or the Lutherans. Those, those, are, those are too small, those denominations. They don't really have anything that they can do that's new there. They would rather just come into the Southern Baptist Convention, sit on all of this money, walk into a structure that's been pre-made for them and then use all of the resources to plant the churches uh, and not have to work that hard at it. And the way that you do that is you get a couple people at the top who are your friends and you help them disseminate propaganda that supports them. And then it's an endless cycle. One of the things that I said in a recent American Thinker article is it's a doom loop. What you have is uh, all of these small church plants that are funded by the North American Mission Board, a lot of them are, are very small on paper, but they each get to send messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention. Most churches can't afford to send messengers to the annual meeting. So the annual meeting then has all these attendees that are skewed towards these hip, progressive, urban churches, which have been planted by the North American Mission Board. Who appoints the head of the National North American Mission Board? Well, the president does. Who elects the president? The people at 
the annual meeting. So it becomes this endless cycle and that drained money because the Southern Baptist Convention is losing a lot of money. If you look at tithes, you look at baptisms, you look at the number of people coming in church, we've been hemorrhaging people. Uh, and uh, as we've been spending more money, they, they, they have increased tremendously the amount that they spend on planting churches at the same time that they keep on losing membership. So it is a doom loop. That's where you're at right now. I think that the liberal politics got entangled in it for basically because the money from outside the convention is there. You can get the money from foundations. Uh, you can get the money from government grants. You can get the money from GI Bill students. All of those things uh, from outside the Southern Baptist Convention are going to come in much greater quantity if you're liberalizing, if you're moving towards the progressive side. But then the problem is that within the Southern Baptist Convention, all of the money is on the conservative side in terms of the, the stalwart church-going Southern Baptists who are very loyal to the Baptist faith and message. These are largely conservatives. So you have somebody like Albert Muller who has to play both sides. He's got to try to do something to keep the money flowing in from outside, show everyone that he's going more multicultural, that he's including women in more roles, that he's going to be softening on homosexuality, that he's going to be open to critical race theory, etc. He's got to show that to the outside, while to the insiders, people within the SBC, he's got to say that he's a rock-ribbed conservative, and he's going to defend the gospel in the, the town square, and he's going to sign things like the Nashville Statement, which I can point out to you is really not that useful at all, because they passed the Nashville Statement two years after the Supreme Court already nationalized the acceptance of gay marriage. So it was behind it was they were behind the ball on that. But Albert Mueller has to engage in all those gestures. He's got to play both sides against the middle. So what he's done in the last couple of weeks, this is Al Mueller, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, is he comes out and says he's going to vote for Trump. And then he force fires four professors. And among the four professors, there are two who don't sign non-disclosure agreements. Uh, and one of them is Russell Fuller, who then gives this interview with enemies within the church. So now what Russell Fuller is pointing out is that Albert Moeller was leading the seminary in such a way as that he was actively bringing in people who were n who were moving which is the core of the Southern Baptist Convention. The theology is moving away from the staunch um, strict interpretation, the staunch inerrancy of scripture, and moving towards these things like mythology being blended with scripture, uh, multiple interpretations, uh, questions of authorship um, that then would lead us to believe that some of the things in the Bible were not facts, but were actually transcription of other traditions, myths. These are things that at the core um, might not seem that deadly, you know, because it's not like he's promoting abortion or gay marriage or anything like that. But it is these are stepping stones moving towards, uh, you know, positions that a lot of Southern Baptists would not be comfortable with, because I can tell you right now, having worked a lot with the LGBT issue, here's the complication. OK, we spent the last 20 years having to argue with people like Matthew Vines about the Greek of the New Testament. The gay movement basically sliced and diced that Greek. They put out all these talking points that Jesus Christ never specifically mentioned homosexuality. Uh, Matthew Vines made the case, which is a silly case, but it did convince a lot of people. He said that the Greek in Romans 1 actually doesn't condemn loving gay relationships like we have today. It only condemns abusive relationships. So we had that for 20 years. We've been fighting over the Greek. 
I think the next 10 years, you're going to see the LGBT movement trying to slice and dice the Old Testament and trying to take down the Hebrew. And so it's very alarming that Russell Fuller was fired um, from Hebrew uh, in and he was the the sort of grandest Old Testament scholar on the Southern campus. And then at Southwestern, you also had a number of people who were recently let go. I, I can't get the confirmations on what the status was of why they left. Um, uh, I suspect that a lot of them did sign NDAs, but among them were a number of Old Testament scholars as well. So um, this is the kind of thing that we see happening is um, that when you have the theological goalposts moving to the left, then even if you don't have open endorsement of gay marriage now, you can bet your lucky stars that's coming in a couple years. And one of the things that they have to do is they have to get rid of the people who they know are going to stand in their way when they make changes like that. That's why they fired me. And uh, that's it seems to me why they fired Russell Fuller. Yeah, it, it, it definitely sure seems like it. Now, now, can you talk a little bit about like the use of NDAs within, you know, kind of Christianity in, in these scenarios? Because I feel like a lot of people don't actually, they don't even realize that this is an actual tactic that's being used in order to, you know, silence critics. And, you know, we've seen this with James McDonald and his church and a lot of the fiasco that's happening there. We see this with like a lot of big churches, but then it seems like we're seeing this now with the seminaries too. Can you kind of talk about what's actually going on there? Yeah, non-disclosure agreements are uh, terrible. They shouldn't be used anywhere. Uh, They come from the corporate world, um, and these are agreements where if there's a dispute or you're letting someone go, you basically get them to sign a non-disclosure agreement in return for something. So let's say you're suing your company for sexual harassment. They will make a settlement with you. We'll give you $150,000 leave, but you have to sign this non-disclosure agreement so this never comes up again. This was the way that Harvey Weinstein covered up his sexual assaults. Ronan Farrow's book makes it very clear that this was the main tactic that Weinstein used to cover up what he was doing. A Christian environment has no biblical basis for using these. Now, I put in a resolution in 2019 for at the annual convention. It went to the resolutions committee and in that resolution I denounced in biblical terms gentlemen's agreements, non-disclosure agreements and retaliation. I put that in and it was never brought to the floor. It was killed. Pulpit and pen ran one story about the the um, resolution and nobody mentioned it. And it, it did frustrate me, to be honest with you, Jeff, that there was so much discussion of Resolution 9. Do you remember how much discussion there was about Resolution 9, which was promoting critical race theory and intersectionality? Um, resolution 9 was a problem, but the non-disclosures are a much bigger deal. They're a much bigger deal because this is a complete breach of biblical ethics. This is the, the the clearest proof we have that many of the people leading these entities may not, in fact, be Christian. I don't know how you can be Christian and use non-disclosure agreements. Um, I had no idea when I submitted my resolution how widespread the non-disclosure agreements were. I had read up on what happened with Harvey Weinstein. I am a survivor of sex abuse. And so for me, it's a really important issue. In particular, I wanted to see the men come forward who had suffered same-sex abuse because we do not hear from a lot of those 
victims, the way we do with the female uh, victims. So I put that resolution in and it was shot down very quickly. And, you know, even a lot of the people who were angry about resolution nine just didn't, they didn't put it together. They, they didn't care. Okay. It just kind of disappeared as an issue. Um, after I submitted the non-disclosure agreement resolution, I was taken to lunch by Randy Stinson. Randy Stinson was the provost at Southwestern. Before being there, he was the provost at Southern. And in both positions, it appears that he did have he, he, he had these tactics of calling professors in to try to you know, pressure them into being quiet or, or doing one thing or another. But Randy Stinson brought me to lunch and he, he made it clear that they were not happy that I had submitted that resolution. And he said he implied that my resolution appeared as though I was taking aim at my own employer. And I said, why? And he said, because, uh, you know, it's you know, we use non-disclosure agreements when we fire people and they had just fired 25 professors. I was shocked. I didn't know that they used non-disclosure agreements. I, I was wondering why is it that they fire 25 professors and nobody says anything? You know, I, I'm, I'm not like that. Maybe I thought it was because I was from LA and New York. I thought maybe I'm just not, but no, it's because what they do is they put you in a position. And as a professor, it's a terrible position because basically they all but tell you, look, this is all you have. If you're working at a Southern Baptist seminary, the liberals are never going to want you. Liberals are going to hate you. So your only option of where you're going to work is in some Southern Baptist world. And um, and so, therefore, you have to play with our rules. You have to get along with us or you're not going to have a. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Career that you're basically not going to be able to support your family, your kids. You know, you're not going to be able to, to feed your kids or pay your mortgage. And so they call people in and they basically say, look, you can sign the non-disclosure agreement and then you'll get three more months of pay and, you know, three more or maybe you'll get insurance for the end of the year for your family, okay, but you cannot discuss anything negative, even if it's truthful. You can't say anything negative about the seminary um, ever for the rest of your life, or we will take you to court and sue you, okay? And it's all secret, and you can't even tell people that you signed one. 
if you choose not to sign it, your pay ends immediately. So what happened was I had submitted that resolution. So they didn't even bother trying to offer me a non-disclosure agreement because I had already been so publicly critical of it. When they fired me, they fired me on November 29th. And then they um, immediately cut off my pay on December 4th. That's five days that I have of pay um, with no forewarning. All my pay was cut off and my uh, insurance ended with for my family on December 31st, basically one month after they fired me in the in the middle of Christmas season, in the middle of the winter. I had no health insurance for my family and I had no money and we had to make the mortgage payments. Now, the Lord provided for me and the kindness of Christians uh, who donated money to me. It, it did help me get through it. And I feel very blessed for that. But that just goes to show you that. Somebody in this system is not Christian, Jeff. I don't want to point fingers and question people's salvation. But, I, you know, Jesus Christ said a good tree will not yield bad fruit. Fig trees don't grow olives, right? I, I don't know how a Christian institution could engage in practices like that. And I can tell you, you can look back at some of the recordings of when I got fired. I, I, I recorded two of the meetings, and those transcripts are still up online at enemieswithinthechurch.com. Uh, the people at Southwestern told me to lie. What they said was that if I received a request from uh, a reporter who wanted to interview me about some issue, no matter what it was, I had to forward that media request to Colby Adams, he was Albert Moeller's former, uh, you know, radio producer, and then he had become the the communications officer at Southwestern. And uh, he, I was supposed to forward all those requests, and then um, Col- Colby Adams was supposed to let me know whether I should give the interview or not. And then the dean, Dean Mike Wilkinson, who's Jimmy Draper's son-in-law, he was the one who was talking to me. He said to me, "And if." Um, I am not to do the interview. I am not supposed to tell the reporter, oh, I can't do the interview with you because they won't let me. I'm supposed to ask Colby Adams, how would you like me to communicate that to the reporter? Basically, that – and I told my dean at that point, I said, you're asking me to lie. This is a Christian organization, and I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie for you. And, I mean, this, it's because I had standoffs like that that I, I got fired. But, um, you know, the nondisclosure agreements are part of that whole culture, uh, you know, and, and that's why they are hiding things. That's why they, you know, you wouldn't have to have someone sign something like that if, in fact, you were running uh, everything above board. I think that the seminaries, um, uh, in my mind, the best thing for the Southern Baptist Convention, and you can, I will say this right here, right now, the best thing for the Southern Baptist Convention would be for the seminaries to close. They're not legitimate organizations. I worked in one. I can tell you from the inside. Um, uh, there is no academic freedom. There's no freedom of speech whatsoever. Uh, the practice, there's no transparency. There are tremendous conflicts of interest, um, tremendous nepotism and discrimination. And one of the things that I hope does not get lost here is there is a lot of racial discrimination, even as we, you know, I, I join the chorus of people who are concerned about critical race theory. The fact of the matter is, is that conservative people of color, conservative minorities in academic positions who are well-established, who are well-published, who are at the rank of full professor, they've been purged. At Southwestern, Adam Greenway has eliminated a, a whole generation of very talented minority scholars, and they're gone now. 
Um, and that's a problem. But that, that it all goes together with that culture of corruption. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and it seems like as, as you're describing this, it, it, you know, it's kind of coming back to me about a lot of the studies that I've done on cults. And it's this kind of cult mentality, like like with, sci- with Scientology, oftentimes what we see is they use NDAs in, in very similar ways. And, and so like what, what ends up happening is that's what's kept their ability to literally abuse people, do slave labor, do all these horrific things is that when somebody leaves the Church of Scientology, they got, they, have, they got to sign an, a non-disclosure agreement. And then if they ever come out and say, you know, I was abused, this happened to me, they ripped me off, they took hundreds of thousands of dollars, whatever it was, then they come out, well, you signed this non-disclosure agreement and you signed this piece of paper saying that we did everything perfectly right. And then it's their way of discrediting other people. And it's this cult mentality. And I'm finding this kind of behavior more and more and more happening within evangelicalism, happening within Christianity. This is not Christian behavior at all. Well, and the problem is it's very dangerous when you're combining a corporate practice, which is bad in the corporate world, then with all of the ecclesiastical structures that are already so prone to corruption. People abuse their spiritual power very often. Uh, And the Bible warns us about this with the wolves in sheep's clothing. And I can tell you right now, Randy Stinson, the man who kept on calling me in, uh, and, and pressuring me in this way, he gave a sermon at chapel at Southwestern. It was one of the first sermons in the fall 2019 semester. And you'll never guess what biblical passage he read, he, he, he preached on. First Peter five about obey, obey your elders, obey, obey, you know, and I, I was sitting in the audience. I had already had a couple run-ins with this man. And I thought to myself, this is outrageous. This is outrageous. I mean, this right here is so wrong that he's in a position of spiritual authority and he's going to abuse that scripture. First Peter five does not mean that your elder can tell you to lie and you have to do it or else you're disobeying God. That is not what that means. Okay. First Peter five is about how elders are supposed to be ethical and they're supposed to be accountable and they're supposed to run the church well and that you're supposed to respect them. Okay. But you can't use that verse to tell a whole room full of people that you're the dog in charge and everyone has to do what you say when you yourself are telling your employees to lie. That's not that's not appropriate. Or or, or when you are uh, telling your employees uh, to uh, n- not say anything about non-disclosure agreements, you know the, the secrecy in it. So I, I think that you know they're 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 in a lot of trouble. They're in a lot of trouble. Um, I think that uh, the interviews with Russell Fuller uh, are going to be interesting to see how people respond to them. I think my case, uh, perhaps some people who might not have taken it that seriously when I was fired. I think now it's going to be a little bit harder for them to dismiss the warning signs uh, in the seminaries because Russell Fuller was such a longstanding professor. And um, and it's, it's clear that there's a pattern that they're getting rid of people and the silencing tactics and the retaliatory tactics are severe and they're getting worse. Um, and it's almost like you're watching... Uh, um, I don't know if you've ever read the Shakespeare play Richard the Third. 
but it's like that where you know Richard the Third is this Plantagenet king in a Shakespeare play, and he's just he's taken out all of his enemies, and towards the end, it's like you know he has so many lingering grudges against him that you know he just crumbles. I feel like that's kind of what we're seeing happen in the Southern Baptist Convention, where they have tried to shut people up for so long, and um, you know I, I think the idea of having a Southern Baptist seminary is a beautiful idea, but they got too entangled in trying to chase after the academic standards of the world, and they lost sight of the importance of actually running the institution in a Christian way. And eventually that is going to poison what what is taught in the classroom. I can tell you that when I was there, I had a lot of fights over the curriculum as well. They were eliminating a lot of key undergraduate programs in that I thought were necessary. That, for instance, they took out the history experts. Uh, they eliminated the literature classes, the specific literary uh, training classes, and uh, they were filling them in with a lot of sort of general uh, lifestyle classes like meaning, vocation, and flourishing, or critical thinking and worldview, kind of very topical uh, academic research. You know, they they made that everyone take two semesters of that, and then they eliminated the literary interpretation class. So they're they're making People think in these empty frameworks in very general, generalized and abstract means they're, they're taking away people's grounding in, in history, in what actually happened in the world, in what great people actually said. So the objectivity is slowly dying and instead it's just becoming vaguer and more subjective. And this is a terrible direction uh, for the seminaries to go in, but that's where it's going, I, I think. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and, there, and there's this kind of dangerous mentality, I think, amongst, like, let's say the followers of a lot of these leaders of, of just, of just saying, well, they're in a position of leadership. God put them there. So I just have to submit and I have to obey and I've got to kind of go along with what they're saying. You know, I was, I was reading my, uh, uh, Bible, um, and I was uh, reading in the passage about, um, the apostle Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, when they had their, their, their split essentially, right? And, mm-hmm. I, and I was reading the the notes in the study Bible that I have. That's by a prominent pastor. I'm not, I'm not going to say who it was, but uh, in in the yeah. notes, um, it says that Barnabas was the one that was at fault. Even though I didn't read that in the passage, but Barnabas was the one that was in fault because he did not submit to Paul's authority and just go along with what he said. And I thought that that in and of itself, I thought was a red flag to me of that's the mentality that they're trying to implement here today is that, you know, we, we saw, we see the Bereans, they questioned the apostle Paul. They, they, yes, they verified. Whereas what, yeah. what it seems like the pastors today are trying to do is just say, no, just do what I say. God put me in power. He put me here for a reason. You submit. Right. And the problem is, if you're not running things like a Christian, if you're having people sign NDAs and you're telling people to lie to reporters and you're doing funny things with the money, that's going to become visible because the Lord will reveal it. It will come out in the wash. And so if that is where you're coming from, if you even try to quote those scriptures, it will come across with a forked tongue. People will see it. People will know that you're fake. Now, some actually I should correct that. Some people won't. And that's what disturbed me about a lot of the people that I saw, let's say, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I loved the students, but a lot of them, you know, their, their parents were pastors and uh, they came. They're kind of they've grown up in that Southern Baptist environment. And a lot of them, I think, are the kind of students 
who they'll look at whoever the highest ranking person is in an institution. They will really respect that person and they will assume that whatever that person says is the way it goes. And so when you have a situation like what happened in Southwestern where Paige Patterson was removed and then you have a new president coming in, Adam Greenway, maybe for a couple weeks they're confused because they were giving all of that submission to Paige Patterson. Now this new person's coming in and telling them, no, submit to me. And they're bad-mouthing Paige Patterson all over the place. But in the end, I found that too many people just sort of transferred their obedience from one uh, sort of lionized father figure to another. And it is not healthy. And that is definitely the direction that the Southern Baptist Convention is going in, especially because a lot of these small church plants seem to me to be elder-led. And often the elders are, are young, they're not sort of like super – I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of the church plants I've seen, the elders are like these young sort of arrogant graduate students who decided to plant a church on the side. And, um, and, and they, they yes, they're drunk with the power that comes with el- the elder-led church model. They love saying that people need to submit to them, okay? But that's exactly what Jesus warned against. Remember that in the Transfiguration in Luke, when Jesus Christ is on the mountain, he is transfigured with two figures – Moses, who stood up to Pharaoh, and Elijah, who stood up to Ahab and Jezebel. That's who Jesus Christ is aligned with in the transfiguration, people who did resist improper authority. Uh, Moses resisted, and he brought the law. Elijah resisted, and he brought the prophetic spirit. So very often, what is right comes out when you're resisting what is wrong. If you don't resist anything, it's almost impossible to really know what is right anymore. That's a, a major part of discernment. And I think that we're, we're heading in that direction in the Southern Baptist Convention. I, I don't know how many thing of these episodes have to go public before people really start to question the leadership and, and question Al Mohler. In my mind, Albert Mohler should have resigned after the Sovereign Grace Ministries scandal. He had uh, less than a year earlier, he had blasted Paige Patterson. Paige Patterson had apologized, but that wasn't enough for people like Beth Moore and Karen Swallow Pryor. Paige Patterson had to leave. I think if Albert Moeller had, you know, at, at that point in my mind, I really did lose respect for him as a leader because, you know, God, God does not like unequal weights and standards. And God says, you have to judge people by the same standards that you judge yourself by. And the fact that Albert Moeller um, really said those harsh things against Paige Patterson when he himself had engaged, had, had had some dirty hands regarding so- Sovereign Grace Ministries, he really should have resigned. And it, it shocked me that so many people didn't even consider this a possibility. People said, well, how is it that Albert Mueller can resign? And I would tell people he's been in that in power for 26 years. That's never healthy. Jeff, most of the Roman emperors did not stay in office for 26 years. You know, yeah. it's 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 yeah. it's not healthy. But I don't know what more you can do before people start to question it. Right. Well, you know, I I, I think that uh, what's going on in the in the church today and within the SBC as well. There's like, there's a lot of parallels between what Jesus was confronting with the Pharisees. And uh, you know, like I, like I'm going back to Matthew 23. What do you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites? And you go right. you go down that list of you know him calling them whitewashed tombs. And, you know, mm-hmm. talking about their hypocrisy and, you know, the, the heavy burdens that they put on, on the people. I feel like it's almost identical to what we're seeing within evangelicalism today. Well, and I, yeah, it's, it is a very disturbing trend. I think that, of course, what adds to it is the, the fact that the Southern Baptist Convention is kind of the crown jewel of the Protestant 
American scene because it's the largest Protestant denomination. And some people feel like if it cracks and crumbles, then it's going to be some huge loss for the kingdom of Christ. But I, I don't see it that way. Uh, you know, I, I'm looking at the book of Revelations and the letters to the seven churches. And, you know, I, I see a lot of the five bad churches uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I think that if if God takes away their lampstands and, and they don't, you know, continue in this denomination, I think it will be healthier for, for so many people. Um, after being in the Southern Baptist Convention for 12 years, because I was converted in 2008, you know, I, I've really struggled to not reject the whole faith because of the Southern Baptist Convention. It brought me closer than I had ever been to just rejecting Christianity because it is it, so corrupt um, it is so unchristlike uh, the way that they are running things, and these people in power who brandish their influence and who are in this game of humiliating uh, other people and rewarding their friends and 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 putting this fake veneer out and hiding all of their secrets and silencing everyone. Uh, I, I just think that in some ways it would be better if the if the denomination did split. You know, I would hate to see what would happen to all the real estate and to all the money. But at this point, when you have these revelations and did you actually see the nondisclosure agreement? It's on that in enemies within the church. I had never actually seen one. I mean, that is shocking that it's a Christian organization that is using the threat of the unbelieving world's legal system against a Christian to basically tell them that they can't speak the truth, you know, and it, it, it brought back such such difficult, painful memories of when I was at Southwestern and they were telling me I couldn't share my testimony. I mean, you know, that that but th- that's where we're at. I mean, and, and um, uh, you know, it's, it's a big problem. But that's that's my reading of what's going on now. It will be interesting to see if other people will come forward and speak out or I can imagine that since Russell Fuller's and a lot of phone calls are being made and people are scrambling the jets to try to position other people who will come out with statements saying, no, Russell Fuller's a liar. No, Bobby Lopez was a terrible teacher or, you know, and no, I, I absolutely love Albert Mueller and and, uh, you know, nothing's wrong. But the point is that the entire Southern Baptist Convention had the opportunity to denounce retaliation, gentlemen's agreements and non-disclosure agreements a year ago at the annual convention, and they killed that resolution. So because of that, nothing that these people say is trustworthy. Do you see what I'm saying? If you're not willing to come forward and say, you know what, I haven't had anybody sign any of these agreements, so everything you hear is above board. If you can't say that, then basically I can't trust anything that you say. If you have two non-disclosure agreements that you that we know of, you could have 200 or 400. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. 
This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. Until you come forward and you say publicly or make some kind of legal pronouncement saying any non-disclosure agreements that I have pressured people into are hereby invalidated and everybody is set free from the obligations of them. Until you do that, then basically we're not working in good faith. And so we can't trust anything that they say. That's the problem. Yeah. And in, in this, in this, in this, is con- this kind of conversation is, is vitally important. You know, like I still have people that reach out to me probably multiple every month um that 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 were associated with with another seminary not an SBC but they use a lot of similar tactics and, and that sort of thing and i can't tell you how many of them are either have completely walked away from their faith or they've walked away they've slowly kind of come back or whatever it is but it's it's tarnished their view of the church tarnished their view of God because of these abusive tactics, and all it is is just PR protecting the house, protecting their power, protecting their finances, and things like that. And it's vitally, in, in, again, in my opinion, and I know your opinion too. It's vitally important that this kind of, that this kind of thing is not happening in the church because it's literally destroying lives, and there's almost no repercussion for doing that, and it's absolutely insane. No, it is. Um, I don't know if I'm breaking up. Am I coming through okay? No, you're coming in great. Okay, good. All right. Uh, yeah, you know, here's – I'm going to throw something out there. This might be very controversial, but I'll say it. Somebody uh, contacted me and said, but what about all the good people who are working in these institutions, uh, the good professors, the good and, – and here's what I'm going to say. Uh, I'll speak to Southwestern. Anybody who is still working at Southwestern on the faculty is somebody who sat through three rounds of horrific layoffs and watched their friends get stabbed in the back and said nothing and in most cases encouraged it. And uh, they went to work when there were 10 people in their department one day and the next day there were six and they carried on and they said, okay, well – at least it wasn't me. And then the next round came and then two more are gone. That's who you have left working at the seminaries. I am so glad that I am not working at Southwestern because I would not want to live with that taint on me. I would not want to live uh, walking around and have everybody in the convention looking and saying, oh, you were one of those people who sat and let three rounds of people, you know, dozens of faculty, your friends – were, 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 were slaughtered in, in this fashion and you just carried on and you hung on to your job because you didn't have faith that God would provide for you if you left. You know, think about in Exodus 16 when they're in the desert, okay, and uh, the, male, the, the quail and the manna comes, you know, uh, you know, you think about that. They had to have faith that God was going to provide even in the most difficult things. And it wasn't just that, oh, it's a good idea to have faith. 
it was a sin when they didn't have faith, when they were collecting too much of the manna or not collecting enough that, that showed the fact they didn't have faith that God would provide for them if they did inst- if they followed instructions. And so I think for a lot of the people who are on the inside of the institutions, I don't know what they're clinging to. I don't know what they're hoping to gain by by continuing their silence and by you know hitching their wagons to these entity heads who are honestly I think they're all going to be driving into a ditch because you can't you can't do this for this long and now the money is going to start sh- shutting down because of covid you have months that people are not paying their tithes so therefore let's say I'm just going to hypothesize here let's say there are some entity heads who've been using the monthly tithes to cover up what they were doing with other operating funds let's say they're buying real estate in crazy places and so the money's actually not there that's supposed to be there but they cover it up every month with the tithes now the tithes have dried up and so now they're going to be scrambling. How do we unload these things? I guess we're going to have to really quickly have a fire sale to try to sell the real estate. You know, you could see a lot of uh, things coming to light. And I, I suspect that a lot of things will come to light uh, of that nature. And um, I would not want to be the guy who scraped and begged and, you know, um, kissed up to some of these people. Cause I think that the Lord will prevail. Justice will prevail. And, uh, you know, I think the truth will come out about a lot of what's going on in the, in the Southern Baptist convention. I don't know where I'm going to go in the future. You know, um, right now I still do go to an SBC church, but it's an SBC church that is not terribly involved, uh, with the convention. Uh, but I, I think if the convention splits in 2021, um, or if it falls apart, I think it probably will be a good thing. I, I, hope, I hope I don't sound too mean when I say that, but I, I think you're in dark times right now. Yeah, well, I, I, I feel like we're, you know, in, in maybe this can kind of lead into this next question, but I feel like we're kind of at, at, at a point now where we come to the idea, do we try to continue to try to fix the evangelical church from within, and in this case with the SBC? Do we try to just fix it from within, keep keep fighting, trying to, you know, pass resolutions, vote out certain people, you know, that sort of thing? Or do we need a full-on reformation like what happened with the Catholic Church where we're just like, okay, enough's enough, and we're just completely breaking away? Do you feel like there's an opportunity to fix things from within, or do you, is it just like enough's enough? I think that most of us who are very vocal right now, and I would include Russell Fuller in this, I would include myself, I would include somebody like Will McRaney, Um, You know, I think a lot of the people and even uh, Tom Littleton, uh, I I would say that a lot of us who are on the inside and who are making these extreme statements now where we sound like pulpit and pen and we're saying, let the whole thing crash. I think most of us are people who have tried from the inside. We did everything we could. We, you know, we were prayerful. We followed the cues from God. Um, and it's just like when Moses went to Pharaoh and he asked, all he asked at the beginning, remember this, Jeff, were three days to go and worship God. If Moses had given him those three days, probably the Hebrews would have never wanted to leave. That's the position that I think a lot of us are in. You know, we followed the procedures. We, we played by the rules. We did everything that we could and, and we could not save the SBC from itself. So I, I think at this point, um, I don't think that any of these leaders are going to be receptive to movements of internal reform. I think we, we would have to get rid of El Moler. He would have to be gone from his seat 
um, in the presidency. And I think everybody that came under training for him, it would have to be like in the book of Exodus, everyone who grew up under Egypt, except for Joshua and Caleb has to be gone before they go to the promised land. We would really need to have a whole new generation of people with a fresh perspective who don't have all of these corrupt ties. They would have to come into office. So you would need a revolution at the 2021 uh, annual meeting of such unprecedented scale that, you know, I think it's it's unlikely enough that I would say that I'm kind of in J.D. Hall's camp. I hate to say that, but, you know, J.D. Hall for years has been saying, let the SVC go. Um, and I guess that's where I'm at. I'm not a pro, uh, uh, um, I'm not opposed to trying, but I think realistically, that's my assessment. Yeah. Now, now, you know, we've talked about Al Mohler um, and obviously, you know, you think he needs to go. What, yeah, he what, has to go. What is yeah. it, you know, because every single time that I ever post anything, you know, on Twitter that's, you know, critical of Al Mohler, which, you know, can can be quite often, um, yeah. I, I, I get a herd of people that come at me and say, how can you say that he's not conservative? Do you not listen to his show every single day and the conservatism that he spouts? Do you not see all that he's done for the conservative evangelical movement? So what is it about right. Al Mohler that makes him so dangerous? Well, I think that what you're hearing is the, the classic, very learned, very rehearsed and canned deflection tactic. And I have to put some of the blame on people who saw a problem with Al Mohler but always made it about ideology. And so they always try to say, well, the problem is that Al Mohler is liberal. OK, I've given that up. I don't really know whether Al Mohler is conservative or liberal. I know that the way he runs things is poor that there's a lot of decisions that are very poor, um, that many of the things that he says don't add up when you look at actually how he runs the institutions. Um, and uh, I saw firsthand when I was fired from Southwestern and I caught the administration at Southwestern basically um, in dishonesty because they claimed that they had never told me things in meetings and then I released the recordings where – it was clear that they had told me those things, and that was why I was fired. Al Mohler went on Twitter and said that he had complete faith in the Southwestern administration, even after all of that evidence came to light. Okay, there are so many things like that that Al Mohler has done um, that, you know, when, when people come at you and say, how can you say he's a liberal? I always just try to redirect it and say, look, I don't care if he's liberal or conservative. He has to go. He's not the right man for the job. You know, he if he's not corrupt, well, then he's not competent. It's one or the other. But, but you know, he has been the driving force. Uh, his legacy has really framed the Southern Baptist Convention for decades. Uh, he trained all the people who are in all of the entity positions, and all of them have all of these problems with conflicts of interest. We're losing baptisms. We're losing money. We're losing members. We're losing uh, the kingdom. And, you know, it's just one of those situations where you have a set of people who have got to go. You know, they're, 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 uh, you know, maybe people would say that about me, Bobby, you had to go. And I did. I went. I took my exit. You know, and I didn't try to stay in my office. They fired me. I think, it, you know, if, if it's true for me, then it's got to be true for Al Mohler as well. Sometimes there's a time that you, you have to go. I also think that people get really caught up in uh, picking bones over Russell Moore. And I would say uh, on that score that I think, you know, it goes much beyond Russell Moore. I mean, he's obviously got to go also, but I think it goes beyond that. Yeah, well, to, to, to a certain degree, I feel like with with the SBC, you know, there is this deep-rooted problem 
And, you know, you know, in, in the sense of, and, and it's, to me, the, the symptom of the problem is somebody like Russell Moore, um, and, and people, and people like Al Mohler and a lot of the people that they're putting out there and firing and all that kind of stuff. But, the, but it seems like there is this ideological, deep-seated problem of corruption and desiring, you know, power and keeping your status and keeping control and that sort of thing. And I feel like that's led them down this path. And then now here they are essentially at this point of no return. They can't like they can't turn the ship around and save face is, I think, the problem within their minds, maybe to a certain degree as well. Yeah, I think the machine takes them over. It takes over. Uh, so if you watch Oliver Stone's uh, film of Nixon, I don't know how you feel about Oliver Stone, but Nixon is a really good movie. And uh, I think there's a scene there that I always think of when I think of the situation with Al Mohler, where Nixon is confronted with these protesters at the Lincoln Memorial, and um, they're saying – uh, you know, you're, it seems like you're powerless as a president. You say you want to do all these things. Why don't you just do it? And he said, well, the system won't let me. And, and the protesters say, well, it sounds like the system's a wild animal. <laughs> do you, uh, you know, I mean, does it control you or do you control it? I think that's, that's the situation. I think that, uh, this group of people in the SPC, it's, it's astounding what they created. They created this machine that now I'm not sure whether any of them individually can stop it. I don't think Adam Greenway or Danny Aiken or Russell Moore or the people who are running the mission boards or the Lifeway executives, I don't think any of them individually can stop this machine. You know, it's either got to crash completely or you would need, you know, just a huge, huge cleaning of the house. Um, and a big thing is that the, one of the few possibilities that I would envision of being able to fix the problems in the SBC would be if there was a way to clear out the trustees, you know, because the trustees are a big part of the problem. The trustees are supposed to be the watchdogs and they, they, they have failed in that miserably. The trustee system is, is very much broken. Uh, and so we don't have checks and balances, which we're supposed to have. If this were a typical corporation or even a typical nonprofit organization, it already, there's so many red flags would have been raised over the the uh, multiple roles that trustees play, the the insider deals, the corruption with the trustees, the fact that they're not doing due diligence, uh, that they're not performing their fiduciary duties and 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 fixing problems, um, instead they're enabling this to benefit their friends. Um, you know, you would have to have a way of clearing that out. Um, and uh, I just, to me, it seems like it's such a long road to try to do that, you know, and, and I don't know whether it's worth it to have uh, 15 million people just waiting around and have their, their faith malnourished while we're sitting here trying to fix a broken machine, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, now, now, let, now, kind of, kind yeah. of as, as we're wrapping up, and you know, probably one of the one of the final questions and that sort of thing. But like, like, yeah. look, looking into the future, right? We're looking at yeah. okay. So, number one, what what do we do now? But if in an ideal situation, and you're looking at okay, we have the opportunity. You know, you're King Bobby. You can come into the SBC and and make the changes that you want to make and that sort of thing. What would the, what would the SBC look like, and, how, and what kind of changes need to be made in order to actually rectify it, if if it's even possible from within? I would appoint a commission, and I would try to make sure that the commission had all people who were not tied in to present circles of power. You know, some commission, and I would ask them to do a review for conflicts of interest. 
due diligence, competency, um, discrimination, and nepotism, and um, do an analysis of the trustee boards for all the entities and all the entity heads. And where they found any of those areas to be problematic, I would publicly ask for resignations. If people didn't want to resign, then you'd have to have uh, some means of pressuring them to resign. And that might mean uh, working with donors um, or even, I would say, uh, starting legal action to put some of these uh, endowments and trusts and funds into, um, you know, into some kind of legal control. Yeah, you'd have to take it away from the trustees. You would have to do that. You'd have to have a very public, open, transparent way of saying, all right, we recognize that there's a huge problem. It's a governance problem. Um, I would not want to get involved in this being a liberal versus conservative thing. I know that's very important to a lot of people. It's important to me as a conservative, but I think it goes way beyond that. There are many conservatives who are part of the problem. So uh, I think uh, you would need to have some very bold and uh, omnibus measure like that. And you would ha- you just would have to ask for, you know, maybe 100, 120 resignations of people at the top. You, you just, you'd have to clean house. Um, that's the way that I would do it. We have tons and tons of people in the Southern Baptist Convention who are very bright, um, who – and I think if this – yoke was lifted from them where all of a sudden they realized that uh, the entity heads and the old chieftains um, of the old way no longer had the power to punish them or to reward them. I think that you would have a new generation of very well-trained um, and very Bible-believing Baptists who would you know, run the denomination in a way that it could be run. And you, you'd have to change a lot of the bylaws that are functioning here to, in order to prevent this from happening in the future. You just need better checks and balances. But you can't even fix the Constitution until you can get rid of these trustees and, and rid of these, these people in power because they're going to block every single kind of change. I, I submitted resolutions two years in a row. I tried to follow the procedure. I tried to do everything by the book, you know, and they shot it down with just a flick of their hand. Uh, so, you know, that, that I think you would need um, to pull things out at the root to get to it. Right, right. And, and, right, I, and right. I think that that's going to be, you know, essentially important, uh, it, you know, if things if things can be, you know, turned around, which, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm praying it can because, you know, it's it's the SBC. It's it's, you know, pr- pretty much, you know, the, the biggest denomination out there. But it's yeah, it, it's it's getting less and less likely i feel like as time goes on which is which is kind of the scary thing i think so um yeah well you said it yourself it's very much a mirror image of the deep state that's in the federal government it's it's the problems in big corporate business it's it's a mirror of what happened in the early 1900s with the captains of industry you know it it it's the it's the same thing it's just a big um, social network uh, that, you know, God bless them for the period that they were holding strong when all of the liberal mainline denominations uh, crumbled. But, you know, unfortunately, that's that's not enough now. It's not enough that they pay lip service to some of these conservative positions. Even those conservative positions, as you can see, are cracking and we can't rely on them anymore. So there's really nothing, no matter how romantically you view the SBC, there's really no point in trying uh, to, to hang on to it, you know, it, it's got to be radically changed or it's, it's going to, um, crumble, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of, and I kind of like to leave, 
uh, like a lot of these kinds of shows, uh, with, with, a, with some sort of like practical kind of take home thing for the average person that's watching this, right? They're not a pastor. They're not somebody right. at a seminary or something like that. And, you know, obviously we're talking about all these like big leadership problems and corruption and right. things like that. But what's, what's the takeaway for just the average person going to a, a Southern Baptist church? Like, what can they do? What should they do? What's your message to them? I think they need to bring sunlight to the situation. So they need to publicly ask very tough questions. If it means your pastor um, and you have to not be afraid of, of being kicked out of your church, you know, but you have to ask public questions to your pastor. You have to ask public questions to your state Baptist convention. And you have to, if it means blogging, if it means doing a Facebook post, you would not believe the impact that those things have. I can tell you right now, that just five people, Alan Atchison, Tom Littleton, John Harris, Judd Sauls, and you, let's say, you five probably have had so much impact just because you were out there saying these things and other people weren't. I mean, it's such a small circle of people who were actually posting things publicly, but you had a huge impact. And so that is something that's very direct that people can do. If you challenge your pastor, and I know people who have challenged their pastors on this, and their pastors are no longer speaking to them, or they've had to leave their church, um, but they did it. And believe me, it, 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 the, that pressure is felt by them. So, you know, in, in those small ways, you can make a difference. And I, I don't think that you should ever resign yourself to feeling like, well, I'm powerless. So I'm just going to keep on going along the way it is. I mean, this is your church. This is the place where you go and you worship God and you're supposed to do honor to the Lord. Think of the book of Haggai, right? When God is saying to them, look, you know, you, I brought you back to Israel and look, my, my, my church is in shambles. Th think of that book. That's, that's very much, I think what God is saying to us now as all this is happening. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think that, you know, uh, a parallel, you know, as well with the secular world and within the church is, is a good reminder for us as well is like right now with all this coronavirus stuff, uh, we're seeing our constitutional rights being taken away and we're seeing them being taken away illegally against the constitution. We talked about this in the beginning, at the beginning of the show, right? But I think, I think that this is also a reminder that we're not supposed to follow illegal laws that are implemented by, you know, these governors that, that essentially are claiming to be kings and that sort of thing. And I think that we also need to remember that about the church is that we're not loyal to the pastors. We're not loyal to the seminary heads. We're not loyal to, to the, you know, the uh, denomination heads or anything like that. We're loyal to God, right? We're supposed to obey God's word. And if any of these guys are going contrary to that, your loyalty does not lie with them. Your loyalty lies in God's word and with God first and foremost. And in all reality only, if they're going against it, you don't follow. You call them on it. And that's, what I think, what's sorely lacking in the church today is people aren't calling them on it. But I think people are slowly starting to wake up to it, and there's more and more, more, and more voices, which is kind of encouraging here. Yeah, and you know what? There's always going to be a majority that don't want to be bothered. And, and they don't want to be pushed out of their comfort zone, but events are going to push them out of their comfort zone anyway, because their churches are going to fall apart. I mean, it, you know, this is, this is, is, and the government is after the coronavirus, uh, because of the fact that the pastors by and large went along with government intrusion, uh, the government's going to never want to give up the power that they gained 
over the church. So this is coming to everyone's backyard, but there's always going to be a majority of people who don't want to stand up. They're going to look, they're going to proof text the Bible from now until the cows come home to find some verse that justifies their apathy and their their ineffectiveness and their laziness about the whole thing. Um, You know, I, I don't try to get caught up in arguing with those people that much anymore. I think you need to find common cause with the people who are, um, taking this very seriously, who have done their part, um, who have proved that they're willing to put everything on the line to be able to save the church from apostasy and, um, you know, work with them and go forward. And, uh, you know, the one thing that's really thrilling about this moment is that this is the story of the Bible. We're right there in uh, first and second Kings, you know, it's like how many bad Kings did they have to go for before they get a Hezekiah or a Josiah? Right. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're there. We're dealing with um, corrupt leaders and we're dealing with a wayward institution. And um, we get to be in the exciting position of uh, the ones who can see what's going wrong and who are going to make a stand for it. And, you know, it's an exciting moment, too. No, it, it really is. I mean, we, see, we saw this with, you know, Jesus and his disciples, mm-hmm. you know, going up against the Pharisees. Right. We, saw, we saw this with the Reformation with guys like Martin Luther. We saw this with, right. you know, th- those kinds of guys. And it was always a small minority group of people that made a lot of noise and split off. And it was, you know, it was a turning point in history. And I, and I'm feeling like, like you're saying, we're, we're kind of, we're at that point right now within Christianity of, you know, maybe it's a, maybe we need a full on, you know, another reformation. Maybe it's a sequel. I don't know, but <laughs> it's, yeah, it's crazy well, times. I can tell I can tell you this. I, I, I am so grateful and I feel so blessed to have met this circle of people who have stood up to this because I do think people are going to write the history of this later on. People are going to be interested in what happened with the Christian church in the early 21st century. Um, and I'm so glad that I got to know some of the people whose names will be in that history. You know, somebody like Alan Atchison, who runs the Capstone Report, you think, I mean, he ran that site year after year after year, plugging along, always being the voice of, you know, even as people discredited him and, and you know, uh, decried his credibility, et cetera, um, you know, he did it year after year. And I would even say that for, for, for some sites like, you know, Pulpit and Pen or Reformation Charlotte, you know, th- those guys, uh, they were really doing that yeoman's work uh, year after year. And um, I just feel so blessed that I got to meet some of them, you know, that I've been uh, to some of these conferences because you really feel like when when I met you at the um, Stand Against Marxism conference, remember that? It was like you feel like you're standing among people who – I feel like a lot of the people that we know, they're going to be in the history books. They're going to be people who really made a difference. And that's not to be vain – on their behalf or to, you know, to kind of lionize them too much. But it's just that it's a, it's at least an exciting thing about all of it is that yeah. these are the people who are making a difference. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. I remember being in that room and it was one, it was one of those things where, uh, we, where you're standing there and you're like, okay, we're, we're, you know, we all come from different, maybe theological backgrounds or, you know, there's, there's been history in the past or, you know, whatever it is. But at the same time, we're all going to battle together. You know, we're, we're we've all got the common, 
um, enemy, and with the enemy is the ideology that we need to destroy. The the enemy is the corruption that we that we and we have a common purpose. Um, and I really felt that you know being there at that stand against Marxism conference. So, um, but yeah. but yeah, if 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 people want to keep up on you, what you're writing, you know what what you're dealing with and all that kind of stuff. What what's the best way for them to do that? I would say BobbyLopez.me or on Twitter, my handle is rlopezmission, um, and uh, you can always follow me. Yeah, no, definitely, def- definitely uh, check that out. Um, and but but Bobby, thanks for so much for coming back. You know, I always enjoy our talks and that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, but I really appreciate you coming on. All right, stay in touch, okay? Definitely, will do. And for everybody else as well uh, that, that's uh, that's watching, uh, we're gonna be back tomorrow. We've got another round of conversations with Jeff. We also have a, a, our monthly episode of Connected is gonna be uh, tomorrow afternoon as well. I believe we're going on at about two o'clock. Uh, I'm gonna verify and I'll post on social media just to let you guys know. But uh, tune in tomorrow for that. Uh, the 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 roundtable for Connected is gonna be myself, Pastor Sam Jones, Dustin Faulkner, and JD Rucker. So it's gonna be a fun conversation. So definitely tune in for that and um yeah and thanks so much for tuning in like subscribe all the good stuff and we'll see you guys next time Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC.